Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. They just reached out their arms to me and brought me in. And I have never forgotten that, Brother McGee. And the truth is, our friendship became instant, over almost instantaneous overnight. And uh, we have never forgotten that. They've been so good to us, preaching our pulpit so many times, blessed our church. Your pastors blessed our church so many times. Amen. Um, and that is just an absolute fact. Thank you, Pastor McGee, for even asking me to stay. Amen. I, I sincerely mean that. And uh, we appreciate that. You know, great churches are not... Um, they don't happen by accident they do not happen by accident um, there takes the will of God obviously and it also takes the will of the people but it also takes the will of a man of God when those three get together when God says that's what I want when the people say I'm with God the purpose of God and that man steps in the pulpit anointed of God that church is going to do great things this is not an accident you have had a McGee in the pulpit for years upon years upon years what a blessing they have been to this church, to this community, to all of you. And I perceive today that you love them so very, very much, and they are worthy of that. What a great talent, what a great ability that they have, and what a blessing that they uh, do uh, bring to this church, to this great community today. Amen. I know that God always deserves the glory, but I do know also that God always uses people. And we're quick, and the McGee's are very quick to say, hey, to God be all the glory for what's happening right here in Mount Carmel. But I also know that God is looking for a man. God is looking for people. And it takes the relationship of the people, the church, with the man, with God, to cause the church to grow and to thrive. And we thank God for that. I couldn't help but think yesterday as Pastor McGee talked about those 1965 stats. When we got done, I talked to uh, Brother uh, Paul McGee Sr. And I said, you know, there for a moment, I, I thought he was trying to tell us we were getting old or something. It made me, it made me feel old. Think about a gallon of milk at 25 cents. I remember that. I remember driving down Cincinnati, Ohio with my father and mother back in the day and gasoline actually being 19.9 for a gallon. I think you probably think I'm old, but I'm, I'm, it really just happened overnight. But I did think as uh, Pastor McGee was talking about those stats of 1965, that in 1965, our family uh, moved to Grayville, Illinois, just, just a little bit down the road. My dad pastored there in Grayville, Illinois from 1965 to 1968. And here we were in the same vicinity. And I thought, you know, in 65, I was 11 years old. And uh, here, Brother McGee's been married and Sister McGee 50 years. And I thought to myself, my goodness, they must have been children when they got married. <laughs> Maybe 13 years old or something. I don't know. Maybe a little bit older than that. Things are different now, young people. We, we want you to ex experience that now. But God's been so good. And here we were in the same area, probably likely uh, rubbing shoulders somewhere and, and didn't really even know each other. I had to move back to Paducah, Kentucky in 1994 and there get together with them. And here we are today, friends, and God is so good to let us come and to be with you today. And I'm certainly looking forward to what God's going to do in this service. Amen. also had to think that as they were performing those vows one more time, amen, and giving their hearts to each other, what a tremendous example Brother and Sister McGee have been to this church and this community. Oh, how desperately the world needs to see a man and a woman united together in love and marriage, committed, 
faithful to each other, still willing to face each other after 50 years and say, as long as forever is, I'm going to love you. Amen. Now, the truth is only God is forever, but as long as I have breath and as long as I have life, amen, I'm going to love you forever and ever and ever. I think it's great, though, when we come to these services like this, isn't it, that we ought to think of God and think of our commitment to God. I think in these services it's great once in a while just to say, Lord, I'm going to raise my hand to you and I'm going to renew my vows and I'm going to say as long as forever is, amen, and with you forever is forever. On this life, I might be able to say it for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Amen. But in that life to come, I'm telling you right now, God, as I raise my hands, would you do it with me right now? I'm going to love you, Lord, forever. Amen. I dedicate, I vow myself to you. I thank you, Lord, today for this opportunity, for this great church, for these great people. Amen. This opportunity, Lord. Amen. To share your great word. Amen. Love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to love you forever. And ever and ever. Amen. About six months before he died, my dad came to me, and I had been pastoring in our home church there in Galesburg for about a year. We did not know that at that moment a tumor was growing in his brain that would ultimately in about six months take his life. We didn't know that. He came to me after one message, and, and he uh, put his arms around me and shook my hand and, and gave me a hug and said, Joe, I'm not going to ever tell you again about not preaching so long. He said, because I know it's not going to do any good anyway. <laughs> his concern was, is if you're a minister, you're a pastor, a preacher, when a preacher gives it his all for about uh, two or three hours, that <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> takes a lot out of you. I, I promise you won't keep you that long. But it takes a little bit out of you. His concern was health-wise. He said, Joe, I'm not ever going to come before you and ever say to you, you know, that perhaps you need to just try to, limited a little bit but he said I finally figured out how you preach and he said I think you preach the same way that you uh, operated your business I have been a carpenter by trade he said I think when you preach you begin to lay a foundation and then you'll put the floor on then you'll build the walls then you'll put the roof on and you can't stop until you get the whole edifice built and he said now me I might start with the walls he said but for some reason you have to start with the foundation well here I am this morning and I'm just me and I've got to go back to the foundation and I'm just going to do what I do and I'm going to ask God to help me this morning preach and minister to this great church I really truthfully believe that there's something in this message for everybody that's in this house today and I thank God for the opportunity thank you again pastor and I hate to always mention first names but sister Dawn McGee Lord bless you sister and I'll call her sister pastor is that okay amen and what a great work brother and sister McGee are doing as pastor of this church Wow, tremendous. And the presence of the Lord been so rich this morning. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Would you do that? Chapter number 61, verse 1 through 3. I saw your pastor had his iPad out this morning. I've got my iPad with me. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like David. I tried the iPad thing, and I don't know it. It's just I wasn't comfortable. Kind of like little David when he stood before uh, Saul and he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. And please notice that, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. 
chapter 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And again, please notice, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, one last verse, and then I'll let you be seated. For he, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want to speak a little while with the help of the Lord from this thought, the great exchange, the great exchange. Would you lift your hands with me this, this morning? Let's give God some praise. Would you do that? Amen. The great Lord, we need you this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your words anointed already. God, anoint our lips to speak to this great people. Amen. Speak to us, Lord. Amen. Minister to us. Minister through us. Thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit. I believe in you. I believe in your word. I believe in your great truth. I thank you for what you have done. Open our mentality, our understanding, Lord, to grasp truthfully what you have done for us. Amen. In this great exchange. Give you the praise. Give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. you may be seated. The great exchange. The native Lenape Indians who hunted and fished on the oblong 22-square-mile island in their tongue called it Manahata, or the island of many hills, it is 1626, and Peter Manuet, representing the Dust West India Company, a merchant business company who sought to gain a foothold in the New World by trade, stands before the leaders of this Indian tribe, and he offers them nothing more than for that island, the 22-square-mile island, offering nothing more than a chest full of trinkets and beads. In exchange for the contents of that chest, he received the rights of the entirety of Manahata, that is known today as Manhattan, one of the five boroughs upon which the great metropolis of New York City now rests with all of its eight and one half million residents. 241 years pass and representatives from the United States of America meet with those from Russia. They have been negotiating a treaty which would place the ownership of a large piece of property into the hands of the people of these great United States of America. No doubt in 1867, the 586,412 square miles of frozen tundra would appear to the Russians as a lucrative, a lucrative opportunity to pass off to the citizens of the United States of America in their mind a wasted and a howling wilderness in exchange for what seemed to be them, to them a lucrative amount of money. It was 4 o'clock in the morning as they gathered across the table. A deal is signed. The United States of America now claims the rights to a territory that is called Alaska. In that exchange, America received one of the largest, most beautiful resource risk parcels of property on planet Earth for a mere $7.2 million. Painting that down in a number that we can understand, they spent for all of Alaska a mere two cents per acre. It is now 1919, and the baseball season has ended. A young 25-year-old Boston Red Sox slugger slash pitcher makes national headlines. In 1919, his stats are these. He touted a batting average of 322. He finished the year number one in the league with 29 home runs. He is also number one in the league with 114 RBIs. He is also number one in the league with 103 RBIs. 
He's also number one in the league in on-base percentage at 456. He is also number one in the league with a percentage of slugging at 657. On top of all those stats, being number one in the league in all those stats, another amazing statistic is pinned on this man that has not been known in all the history of baseball. For in that very same year, this slugger with 29 home runs and a batting average of 322, RBIs of 114, also made 15 pitching starts, of which his ERA that year was 2.97, and he ended with a record of nine wins and five losses. The Boston Red Sox had won the World Series with this man in 1915, 1916, and 1918. But frustrated by his demands of more money and by his carousings, Boston shipped off this young 25-year-old lefty star pitcher and slugger to the New York Yankees. On the contract that was dated December 26, 1919, that reads at the top, uniform agreement for the transfer of a player, George H. Ruth, better known under the name Babe Ruth, was sent to the New York Yankees, a team who had never, ever won the World Series, in exchange for the crisp sum of $25,000. Now with George Herman Ruth and the Yankee lineup, a baseball dynasty was birthed, resulting in their first ever World Championship in 1923, with 26 more rings to follow and a total of 47 appearances by the New York Yankees in the Fall Classic. To date, in both championships and appearances in the World Series, the New York Yankees remain first, with a second place going to the St. Louis Cardinals at 11. But the Boston Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox that traded off George Herman Ruth for a mere $25,000. On the other hand, having dealt away arguably the greatest baseball player in history in exchange for $25,000 cash, would not prevail again until 2004, 86 years later. All of those are examples of some of the greatest, most astounding, lopsided exchanges to have ever occurred in all of history. In all this bartering, it could be said, and perhaps one of the parties might have been ignorant. Perhaps we could look at these barterings and these exchanges and say, well, somebody perhaps just played the fool, or somebody, amen, turned this upside down. Maybe somebody at the bartering table was given over to foolishness, or somebody was so gullible they were misled, or perhaps they were misrepresented, and somebody just turned the tables over. We got these tremendously great exchanges. The great exchange that we're talking about, this exchange of these three individuals at least, is so much in favor of the one and so much against the favor of the other that one of those became unimaginably wealthy. Well, they sat around the bartering table. We can see that somebody became unimaginably wealthy. The United States of America, for two cents per acre of all the land of Alaska, became tremendously rich and wealthy in the resources of Alaska, while the Russian people thought they were handing off to us a waste-howling wilderness for two cents an acre. We came away with perhaps the greatest, richest uh, land up within the United States of America. One of those people in this exchange is going to walk away wealthy. One of them is going to walk away vibrant. One of them is going to walk away full of life. One is going to walk away abundantly blessed with a future hope and a promise, amen, because we sat down at a table and we made this terrific exchange, but the latter is going to become destitute. They're going to become miserable. They're going to become lifeless. They're going to be left with only a curse and no hope of a better life, amen. There was once a great exchange that had been offered and made. It was determined and it was agreed upon before the foundation of the world. It was one single transaction that was made 
It was a treaty agreed to. It was a covenant that had been entered into that was not ratified. It was not empowered by any means by things which pass away. No, this covenant, this exchange that I'm talking about, this transference was an eternal transference that had been decreed before the foundation of the world. It was decreed before man ever set foot upon this earth. It indeed is that great, amen, exchange. This particular exchange was approved, it was sanctioned, and it was confirmed in blood. But it was not just anybody's blood. Amen. It was the life's blood of that wealthy and that generous party that sat down at the bargaining table with more to lose than he could ever gain. I'm talking about a great exchange in which the great God of heaven sat across the bargaining table with sinful, amen, wretched mankind with much more to ever lose than he might ever gain. Amen. He sat there with a sound mind and he carefully thought out and he sought out a plan out of purpose, amen, whereby he would willingly offer himself, amen, hear me today, and he would covenant together with himself and by himself because the Bible said there was nobody greater by which he might be able to make this great exchange. There was nothing which he could swear unto that was greater than himself that would make the guarantee that I'm about and I'm willing to exchange myself, amen, for the sake of the redemption and the salvation for all the lost souls of mankind. It would be in himself and of himself and by himself, purposed of himself, thought of himself before the foundation of the world that this great exchange could ever be actuated. We talk about the scripture. Dr. Luke in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28 speaks about that blood and he said it's the very blood of God by which the church itself was purchased. This effectual, the wondrous, ever-living, ever-working, redemptive power of the cross of Christ whereby the blood of Jesus Christ was offered up as the rate of exchange has in fact transferred. Hear me now. Amen. Hear me now. This thing, this great exchange, amen, this rate of exchange that was offered up, amen, for our sake by the great God of heaven, the blood of Jesus has literally transferred the power. It has transferred the prosperity. It has transferred the eternality of that heavenly realm into the lives and the hearts of mere men and women just like you and I who are full of weaknesses and are full of frailties and full of sicknesses and full of iniquities. The great God of heaven has literally made a transference. He made a great exchange. Amen. That day at Calvary where the weak, amen, becomes strong and where the sick become well. Amen. Where the Son of God came irregardless of our infirmities and frailties, infirmities, iniquities, and he made a great exchange. Therefore, this great exchange of which I talk about cannot be measured in terms, amen, of dollars and cents. It cannot be measured in terms of lands that are given or goods that are received or bartered away. Its greatness, hear me today, in the sense of quantity cannot be calculated in mere terms of thousands, but the idea of the quantity of the greatness of this great exchange can only be numbered in the terms that the Bible says an innumerable number that cannot be established. For the Bible would tell us that the words whosoever will are written in the terminology of this contract. The concept of whosoever will and the coverage of this great exchange covers every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. Whether they're red, yellow, black, and white, or whether a mixture of all those combined. Amen. The Bible said, whosoever will, and it's written in the contract of this great exchange, of this great God who came and said, it's going to cost me everything, but I'm going to give you all that I am, and I'm going to give you all that I have. Amen. This great and this marvelous exchange. In the Spirit of God on the Lord's day, 
John the Revelator was moved on, ushered into that heavenly future realm. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 and 10 said, after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white, white robes and salt palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation, amen, to our God, amen, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Amen. I'm talking about the quantity of this great exchange cannot be measured in terms that we understand. John said, I saw a number and it was so many that I couldn't even number it. It was so many that I couldn't even count it. Amen. This great exchange. Amen. One man gave his life for a number of individuals who cannot ever be numbered. In terms of a contract, in terms of an exchange, not only do we talk about quantity, but we often talk about quality. But the quality of this great exchange cannot be quantified in terms of time. It cannot be quantified in terms of days, weeks, months, or years. Inventions of men are often taken to proving grounds. Cars, for instance, are taking, uh, taken to proving grounds where they endure test after test in extreme uh, areas and levels uh, to prove their endurance. Amen. Hear me today. But this covenant does not operate, amen, in this present world. But now because of this great exchange, it is beyond time. There's nothing about time that can ever dull, amen, the quality, amen, of this great exchange. Amen. The air, the wind, the fire, the elements cannot necessitate and cannot negate in any way whatsoever, amen, the terms of this great exchange because it is out of this world. And now because we have a great exchange that came from another world, amen, it's not just for this world only, amen. We have a covenant that works here, but we have a covenant that works there, amen. But I'm not yet over there, and I need to realize that I've got a great exchange. Something happened in the life of Jesus. Something happened at Calvary that made a great exchange. I have hope now, not only in that world but I have hope in this present world in which I live amen hallelujah Paul wrote of the power of that transaction that affected not just time but it affects also eternity in 2nd Corinthians 5 and 1 Paul said for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved we have a building of God and house not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens I'm talking about a covenant I'm talking about a contract that cost God everything. Amen. I'm talking about a covenant. I'm talking about an exchange in which God gave me the heavenly realm in which God gave me of himself. And now, amen, though I was wretched, blind, undone, amen, full of sin and despair on my way to a devil's hell. Now because of a great exchange, I have a home. I have a building made in the heavens. Amen. Eternal in the heavens. Thank God. I, I recently read the story of a little boy of yesteryear whose doting parents had given him everything he wanted. And by doing that, it actually trained him to become a brat. They had given him whatsoever his heart wanted, all the toys, all the possessions, all the fun. And in spite of all of those things, it seems the boy was still a brat. And so one day he went out being the brat that he was, he captured small, several small birds and he filled a sack with them. And as he walked down the street, he was carrying that bag, carelessly swinging at his side with the sound of those imprisoned wings slapping against the side of that bag, against the walls of the prison. Mixed along with the beating of the wings of those terrified birds was that pitiful chirping sound of helpless and hopeless creatures 
who had no power or ability to be able to negotiate the terms whereby they might exchange their lives for his life or the pitiful lives that they had in any way, shape, or form to obtain or to gain the release. There was simply nothing that they had that the little boy wanted. He swung them around carelessly in that bag. They had no ability. They didn't speak his language. There was no fellowship. There was no communication. He didn't care for them. He didn't care about their pitiful cries. He didn't care about the beating of the wings against the side of that cage trying to get out. As the boy walked along, the story says he was callous. He was unconcerned. He was uncaring concerning the plight of his captives. And as he walked down the street, he was met by an elderly man who asked him, Hey, son, what do you got in the sack? And the little boy said, I got me a sack full of sparrows. And the elderly gentleman said, well, what are you going to do with them? And he said, why? I'm going to take them out of the sack one by one, and then I'm going to tease every one of them. I'm going to pull their feathers out one by one, and then I'm going to release them to be eaten by that hungry cat over there for his dinner. So the old man in pity of the bird's sentence of death asked, how much would you sell the whole sack to me for? And the boy thought within himself for a moment he decided He's going to place a big, large figure, big, large sum on the purchase price just in case he had to barter down. And he thought about it, what he might be able to get with that money. And he said, I'll take $2 for the whole sack of birds. And the old man said, done. He reached into his pocket, and he pulled out two crumpled $1 bills, and he gave them into the hand of this young boy. The boy handed the elder gentleman that sack, and he watched the old man as he cautiously and carefully held it in his hands. In a moment, the elder gentleman untwisted the top of the bag, and he pulled it open. In an instant, a few seconds went by. One by one, the tiny birds began to flap their wings against the air of freedom and ascended up to the sky and were gone. And so it happened one day in the paradise of God. As God walked down the pathway to meet with his prized possession, he was met by Satan, who by cunning deceit had lured mankind into a huge pit of imprisonment. From out of the pit spilled forth that helpless and hopeless pitiable cry of untold millions of people, souls that were trapped by their own sin. They were struggling against struggle to be able to be free. They were struggling against the hopelessness of their plight with no power of negotiation. They had nothing to be able to gain, amen, or give for their freedom. They had no ability to negotiate, amen, a trade whereby they might be free. All there was was weeping and wailing in the own darkness of their prison. Looking Satan square in the eye, God asked him, what have you got in prison there in the pit? And Satan responded with a devilish smirk on his face. People, I have people in this prison. And the Lord said, well, what do you intend to do with them? Sneering Satan responds, as long as they're alive, I'm going to tort them. With, I'm torment them with hopelessness. I'm going to keep them in the prison. I'm going to torment them with horrific trials. I'm going to torment them with sicknesses. I'm going to torment them with disease. I'm going to torment them every day, reminding them it's their own fault of all their guilt, all their pain, all their shame is a response to that which they have failed against you, God. I'm going to remind them every day of their guilt, and I'm going to remind them of their shame. And then when they're finally worn out and they can't fight anymore and they can't resist me anymore, I intend to destroy their souls in hell. To which the Lord responded, well, what would you take? What is it that you would take, amen, for all of them? To which Satan responded, why, the only way I'll ever let them go is an exchange. And the Lord said, an exchange? Why, yes, 
Yes, yes, an exchange. You know the great exchange. To pull off this thing that you're asking for is going to require the greatest exchange ever. This is going to cost you, God, amen, the life's blood of the only begotten Son. And in an instant, God turned around and said, it is done. And he came from heaven above and robed himself in a robe of flesh and walked among us and said, I'll pay that price. I'll pay that life's blood. I'll give it all. I'll lose it all. But you might be able to gain it all. Paul said in the book of Philippians 2 and 8, amen, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Amen, the death of the cross. That amazing story has birthed, amen, a many a song to gospel writers. Please let me read to you, amen, a few stanzas from that old, old song that we used to sing, Down from His Glory, Ever Living Story, My God and Savior came, and Jesus was His name, born in a manger, to His own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears and agony. What condescension bringing us redemption that in the dead of night not one faint hope in sight God gracious tender laid aside his splendor stooping to woo to win to save my soul without reluctance flesh and blood his substance he took the form of man revealed the hidden plan oh glorious mystery sacrifice of Calvary and now I know that thou art the great I am. Amen. Oh, how I love him. How I adore him. Amen. My breath, my sunshine, my all in all. Amen. The cross is the hinge point of history. Amen. The cross itself is the centerpiece of God's grand and brilliant plan for all of mankind. The cross of Christ Jesus was in itself 4,000 years. Hear me now. 4,000 years in the crafting, but in one momentous day. Amen. In one momentous occasion, with one momentous man, with one momentous life, with one wonderful man, with one spotless lamb and the powerful blood of the lamb. Amen. Amen. Jesus with one, um, with one giving of his life pride out of the hands of this one called Satan the pitiful fallen race of hopeless and helpless sinners that could not save themselves he brought them out of the death grip of Satan well listen today make no mistake about it there's a lot of places you could go today a lot of men might preach about the grace of God they might talk about the free grace of God but I'm going to promise you today that grace was anything but free when you talk about what Jesus did when you talk about what we enjoy amen when you're talking about grace today I beg your pardon but the grace of Jesus Christ is shed abundantly upon us by that sacrifice of one man that went to a cross and gave his life for my life amen one man who gave it all that I might be free one man who gave it all that you and I might be free it was a transfer of the one most what lopsided amen exchange ever his life for my life his life for our lives we are prone to think when we think about God and what God did for us when we're we're prone to think that you know perhaps if God would die for one sinner like me what a marvelous thing and how marvelous it is and we would think how much more worthy and valuable it is that God would die for all the sinners in the world. But let me, let me bring this to your attention. Does it make sense that any man would give his life for a rotten egg? Does it make any sense that one man would give his life in exchange for one egg that is tarnished and rotten and stinking and filthy and miserable? 
Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but a rotten egg is a liability. It's not an asset. But multiply that one rotten egg by eight and a half a billion souls. Amen. And tell me what man would give his life, amen, for eight and one half billion, amen, liabilities. For eight and a half billion wretched and lost and stinking and filthy, rotten sinners. But this one man by the name of Jesus did not just exchange himself for me. He exchanged himself for whosoever will. Let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Thanks be to God. I want you to listen to the anointed words of the scripture. Now, I know you've heard this before, but I really felt impressed of the Lord recently, amen, uh, with what I, I feel like to bring to you. I know you know this, but, but please hear me today because there's more in the scripture about this great exchange that we don't understand, I think, than we do understand. The penmen that are anointed of the Holy Ghost begin to describe and define what I term this great exchange. Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ. It seems, it seems a little bit confusing. On one hand, he says, I'm crucified, amen, with Christ, which means at some point, amen, you died. So I'm crucified with Christ. And then he says, nevertheless, I live. And then he says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live, I live in the flesh, amen, by the spirit and the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isaiah wrote about this great exchange in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 and said, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Before, amen, him for me. Amen, the iniquity, amen, of mine was, was placed on him. Paul, again, in the book of Galatians 1, 4, makes this statement, who gave himself, again, for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And again, he writes to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, don't lose me here. Please stay with me here. In Galatians 2 and 20, Paul affirms that Jesus died in my place. Or in other words, he gave himself for me. On Calvary, Jesus took my place. We sing the song, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. In Isaiah 53, the prophet, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, paints on the canvas of eternity this wonderful, powerful truth that at Calvary, when Jesus was wounded and when he was slain on the tree, it was for or because of, amen, my transgressions. It was because of my sin, my trespass, my revolt, my rebellion against his lordship. And further he says, not only was he wounded for our transgressions, our sin, but he was bruised because of our iniquity. Amen. He was bruised because, amen, of our perversity and our moral evil. And to mean to be bruised means he was literally beaten to death nearly. He was beaten and bruised. So the Bible said he was, he was wounded because of my transgression and he was beaten or bruised because of my iniquity. And further in verse 6 of the same chapter, it says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Now please follow me. In Galatians 1.4, Paul states that he gave himself or because of our sin. It is from those passages and other passages that we gain this picture that Jesus died for our sin. He died because of my revolt, my rebellion. All of that sent him to the cross to pay for my sin, his life for my life. And because of the power of his grace through that redeeming dynamic, amen, the spotless blood that flowed out of that eternal river, the love of God, I can now envision myself as free. I look at what Jesus did, amen, and I now realize that he took my sin upon himself. That means he rid me of my sin. 
That means now that the penalty of that sin has been paid for. I don't have to pay for the penalty of sin. And it tells me today also that secondly, not just that the penalty of the sin been paid, amen, but the bondage of that sin has been released from me. He literally took my sin upon himself and he freed me to live holy and righteously in this world. But I'm going to tell you something today. That that is not all that is involved in this thing called the great exchange. I can tell you that there's more to this powerful story. There's more to this efficacious and amazing picture of Christ Jesus dying on the cross. He did die for our sin because of our transgression. But when Jesus walked up that mountain that day, he not only paid my debt, but he made the great exchange. And Paul said it this way, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. In him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Listen now, at Calvary, Jesus did more, much more than just die for because of my sin. The Bible said he became sin. I hope you hear me now. The Bible does not just say that Jesus died because or for my sin. The Bible said he became sin. And the Bible said he became sin for us. He became sin in our place because of us. And whereas before Calvary, I was a transgressor caught up in practicing iniquity at Calvary. Jesus exchanged my sinfulness for his righteousness. He didn't just die for me. He didn't just take my sin away. When he took my sin away, he gave me his righteousness. When I gave him my life, he gave me his righteousness. The great exchange. But friend, it doesn't stop there. Amen. There's no place to stop in this thing. Amen. What I was, amen. He exchanged my sinfulness for his righteousness. Can I say it this way? What I was, he became, so that what he is, I can now be. At Calvary, he made this exchange so that what he was, I can be, and what I was, he became. Amen. Now listen. When you think about what these inspired writers are saying, when you think about what they're explaining to us and describing to us in this great exchange, we've got a brand new meaning. We've got a brand new understanding. Now Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I, when Christ went to the cross and I repented of my sin, come on apostolics, when I repented of my sin, amen, I was crucified with Christ. This old man died. When I laid down my life and I went to the cross with Christ, amen, this old man died. But Paul said on the reciprocal, nevertheless, even though I died, I live and I now live. Now listen to what he said. Then he said, yet not I. I'm not really living anymore. But he said, the life that I have is actually the life of Jesus Christ that he put within me. Because of a great exchange, he died, amen. I gave him my life and he gave me his life, amen, at Calvary. And now I was crucified with Christ. Hear me now, nevertheless I live, but now Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. Man, I'm not talking about some wonderful hope of eternity. Amen, looks like I'm trying to put myself together with tape. Amen. I'm not talking about, amen, a life in eternity. Amen. I'm not talking about something that, that just happens, amen, when the clouds burst and Jesus comes to take his people home. I'm talking about when I went to Calvary and I repented of my sin. There was a great exchange. Amen. I'm really not even living anymore. Amen. The life I live in this flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. When Jesus went to the cross, 
He took all of my iniquities. He took my life. He took all my transgressions. And there he exchanged his old holy character for my wretchedness. Amen. He took upon himself my life and all of its wretchedness, all of its negativism, all of its frailties, all of its weaknesses. Amen. Hear me now. All of its infirmities. He took that upon him. And when he took it upon him, he said, hey, I'm not going to just strip you of everything and leave you completely empty and whole. I'm going to give you something. And I'm going to give you myself. Amen. I'm going to take who you are upon my person. I'm going to pay the debt and I'm going to give you who I am. And all of that is to the end that the life which I now live in the flesh is in fact Christ living in me. And I know in some ways this makes us think about, amen, this great thing called the great exchange. Amen. Think about what it means by faith. Because of this thing called faith in the great exchange, I have a deeper understanding of what Isaiah meant when he said in the chapter 53, 4, and 6, surely he hath borne our griefs. Get the picture now. Don't lose me now. He hath, of a fact, he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem and stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Are you still with me? When Jesus died, Isaiah said, he hath borne. That means he lifted. That means whatever mess you're carrying, whatever wretchedness you have. The Bible said he bore it. It means he lifted. Amen. And it says specifically that he hath borne our griefs. Amen. It means he has borne our maladies. It means he has borne our anxieties. It means he has borne our calamities. That means he has borne our diseases. And that means he has borne our sicknesses. Amen. He took all that mess off of my back. I was heavy laden, beat down, amen, when I came to Jesus. But when I came to the cross, he lifted all that off of me and he put it on himself. All of our maladies, all of our griefs, all of our anxieties, all of our fears, all of our cares, all of our mess, all of our distress, all of our sicknesses, amen, all this thing called life, he took it upon himself. Not only did he, did he was he one who bore or lift our griefs, but the Bible said he carried, amen, that means to lift off of one and carry for another. It means to bear for another our sorrows. It meant that he, that he bore, he carried our anguish, he carried our affliction, he carried our pain, and he carried our sorrow. So that when Jesus went to the cross, he lifted and carried all of our griefs and all of our sorrows. So I've got something to ask of the apostolic community today. Amen. Why are we not in this flesh living as if I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live? But not me, it's Christ that lives in me. And I live in this flesh the life of Jesus Christ. Maybe then when we turn to the book of Matthew, chapter number 11, and read the word of the Lord when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. On the basis of this great exchange now, amen, Jesus made this promise. If you will come to me and you will give me your yoke, I'll give you mine. Hello? Jesus made this promise on the basis of the great exchange. He said, if you will dare come to me and you will place your heavy yoke upon me, I will give you my yoke. Hear me now. 
I'm going to exchange my light and my easy yoke for your heavy, laden down, beat down, miserable, anxious filled, cared filled, amen, disease filled, sickness filled yoke that you're carrying all through your life. He said, my yoke, that thing that binds two people together is easy. It's gracious and it's kind. It's, it's a burden that I have as a task or it's a service. In other words, I got something for you to do, friend, and it is light. It is less heavy to carry. And what Jesus is saying, if you'll come to me because it's great exchange, you know, I get this picture constantly and always that I'm coming to the Lord and I'm giving him this stuff. Amen. But if you'll get this picture what this great exchange is, amen, the Lord not only wants you to cast your burdens upon the Lord, he shall sustain thee. He's going to give you his yoke, which is easy. He's going to unite himself together with you. Amen. He said, I've got a service for you. I've got a purpose for you. Amen. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It was at Calvary, the heavy yoke of our iniquities laid upon him. In exchange, we're receiving rest. The Lord said, I'll give you the rest for your soul. Amen. I hope somebody hear me today. In exchange for our heaviness, in exchange for our burdens, we receive comfort, we receive peace, we receive security, we receive purpose. I'm talking about a great exchange. I'm talking about what Jesus did. I'm talking about this one who gave all that he could give so that we might have all that he has. Amen. Now my life is not any longer defined by trouble. I want to change some apostolic brother sister's mind. Your life is not defined by trouble. Amen. Because that blood sacrifice of the Lord. And in that he exchanged, amen, for a gracious uniting together my purpose and service, his purpose and his service. What I used to think I ought to do, what I used to think I ought to live, and how I ought to live, he exchanged all that mess for his service and his purpose. He put his yoke upon me. Now I'm walking in the light. Amen. I once was in darkness, but he exchanged all that when he went to Calvary. And in darkness he cried out, oh God, why have you forsaken me? I was living in darkness. He brought me into light. He took me my darkness that I could have his light. The songwriter would say, my load is lighter. Amen. My way is brighter. I'm walking up the king's highway. Now I'm confessing that there is a blessing walking down that king's highway. Paul would say again, who gave himself for us that we might be delivered from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. Now having offered up to God himself, in other words, exchanging places for our sin. You still with me today? I am now what he was then. I don't know that we really believe that. I'm serious. I don't know that I can get it through my thick skull that what Jesus did at Calvary was literally switch places with me. And when he switched places with me, brothers and sisters, what I now am is what he was then. Amen. Hear me today. Because he was a victor over sin. Amen. When I was a wretched sinner, lost and undone, now I'm a victor over sin in this present evil world. And now I'm an overcomer. Why? Because he overcame. And so now I read the scripture that said, Revelation 17, 14, these shall make war with the Lamb, and the king shall overcome them. There's that wonderful word. The king's going to overcome them for he is the Lord of lords, king of kings. They that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Seven times in Revelation, Jesus makes this promise to the called, the chosen, and the faithful. And he says to him that overcometh, I'm going to give the tree of the life, to eat of the tree of life. Same chapter, verse 12, verse, uh, chapter number two. He shall not be heard the second death. Same chapter, amen. Will I give to eat of the hidden manna of the white stone which is now written in our new name. I will give power over the nations. I shall clothe you with white raiment. And then he said in chapter three, verse number 12, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God. But I want you to notice Revelation 21 and seven when he said, he that overcometh shall inherit, amen, all things. 
I'm sorry now. I've, I've preached and taught for so long to my people. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that as apostolics, we are living well below our means because the Bible said that he has given us to inherit all things. If you know anything about inheritance, an inheritance requires the transfer of the goods, the belongings, the blessings, the possessions of the father to the children. It could be said to be a great exchange. But when God in the person of Christ Jesus paid our debt on the tree, he transferred everything that Jesus inherited of his father to you and me. Did you hear me? When Jesus died on the cross, he exchanged everything that he had inherited from the Father and he exchanged it with you and me. He gave to us the blessing, the hope, amen, the promise, the life, amen, the eternality, amen. Sickness could be healed, amen. Diseases could flee away. Our minds could be at peace. His yoke could be upon us, amen. We can live victoriously, amen, in this world above sin because he became sin and gave me the righteousness of God. In another place, Paul writes that we are now more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself instead of us. We're more than conquerors. Amen. I get the picture of a warrior that goes out in war and he conquers, but what is more than a conqueror? A ruler. The Lord has intended that you and I be rulers in this world. There were sons and daughters of God. And now the Bible said, you shall tread on serpents and scorpions and nothing by any means shall harm you. How does it happen? Because of the cross of Calvary. Amen. It's a great exchange. Everything that Jesus inherited, he gave it to me. I am the light, but now you're the light of the world. Amen. I go away. I send to you the comforter. Amen. You'll do more than I have done. The church of Jesus Christ, amen, has inherited the blessings of God, the promise of God, the hope of God, the beauty of God. Amen. And now I understand clearly what Jesus meant when he said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. It was always confusing to me, but he said, but, but have no fear, actually. Amen. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And I've always thought, well, that's wonderful. That's great. What does that mean to me? What good does it do to me to know that Jesus overcame the world and I know that he did? The answer is found in the place and the purpose and the plan of God and the great exchange that cost Jesus everything so that we might have it all. Yeah. Amen. What Jesus did in that great exchange and when he said, hey, in the world, if you live in the world system, amen, if you keep messing around with the world, it ain't going to be nothing but tribulation. But if you'll be in me and I'll be in you, amen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you something that you can be of good cheer over, amen, because I have overcome the world. And now I overcome the world because it is he and me and I and he. And John 17, that, that high priestly prayer of the Lord that we often pray and get so confused and muddled up over becomes obvious to us when Jesus said, John 17, verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe thou sent me and the glory which thou gavest me I've given them. Hello? You've inherited all things from the Father. And Jesus said, the glory that I received from thee or I inherited from thee, I've given it to them. Hallelujah. Amen. That the world may believe thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I've given them that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. How are we going to be made perfect in one? In what one? In Christ Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, the one who inherited of God all blessings, all hope, all honor, all glory, majesty, might, and power. And Jesus said the glory. Amen. All the inheritance of God that you gave me, O oh Father, I have given it to them. I gave it to them. And now it's I and thee, thou and me, us and them. 
Amen. They might be perfect in one. How are we going to be made perfect in that one man, Christ Jesus, that the world might know thou hast loved them and thou hast loved me. And I think it's right now where the people of God need to reach out in the spirit of God. I think right now we need to operate in the spirit. And I think right now you need to lift up your hearts that are filled with faith and take a hold on what this really means to you. When we talk about so great a salvation, I think we've got it. When we read Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. I think I get it. Amen. I think I understand this faith thing when it comes to salvation. Every one of you that have been filled with the Holy Ghost, born again, free from sin, you come in here with faith, believing every day, he has saved me. Amen. He went to the cross in my place. I should have been there. Amen. But there he went. Amen. And here I go. Amen. I'm living a life that's the life of Christ Jesus. And I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. But I'm, I'm going to tell you something today. Isaiah 53 doesn't just say he was wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity. It also says the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed hear me now the chastisement of our peace amen we were the, the ones that were sinful and lost and undone and Jesus took that chastisement and when he took our chastisement he gave us in its place his peace yes. That's right. oh God when he walked up that hill and he gave himself on Calvary. I don't know if you've ever heard of holistic healing. I don't know if you understand the concept, amen, of what the Bible speaks about when it speaks about the idea that when he went to that place called the cross, he exchanged, place, he exchanged places with me. When he, when he took, amen, and tenderly took me out of the crosshairs of God's judgment, he stood in my place. And he moved me out of the way. God's judgment, amen, that bow, the wrath of God is drawn. And it's aimed right at the center. And when Jesus came, he moved me right on out of the way and said, I'm going to take your place. And when he took my place, amen, with the crosshairs of God, amen, upon his person, he took the shot of God. He was stricken, smitten, bruised, and afflicted of God. Amen. He was beaten. And there God smoked the sun. And there God poured out his wrath on the sun. And there God rejected his only begotten son. And there he cried in horror, my God, amen, have, why have you forsaken me? And all of this, the prophet, the riches, amen, the exchanged to you and I while the loss and the pain and the sorrow and the horror and the death was subjected upon him because he exchanged places with us. I hope you're hearing me today. All the glory of God, all the blessings, all the riches, all the profit, amen, all, all of that, he exchanged places. He gave me all the glory. He took all the pain, all the loss. In the realm of finance and currency, there's an established rate of exchange between currencies used in the nation of the world. Rate of exchange is the value of one currency for the purpose of conversion to another. So, depending on the strength or the weakness of a particular nation's currency, a man or a woman that's caught up in purchasing or trading goods between nations might actually make a huge profit or they might be stricken with a huge loss. In other words, if my money is worth more money than yours, when we exchange, you're about to lose and I'm about to gain. Because in every exchange, somebody comes out the winner and somebody comes out the loser. When you talk about the rate of exchange at Calvary, it was so lopsided. It was so absolutely massive in earth's favor and so greatly against the benefit of heaven that when it was said and done and when Jesus cried, it is finished, everything that he was was transferred to me. And when Jesus bowed his hand and he gave up the ghost, every wretched thing that I've ever began to do and every wretched thing that I'd become was transferred to him. And the rocks rended, amen, the temple quake, and it shook. And everything that we used to be, 
All the evil was transferred to all the good and all the good was transferred to the evil. And the Bible said he became sin. It doesn't say he was a sinner. It said he became sin. What does that mean? That means that he became sin. He became murder. He became homosexuality. He became perversion. He became molestation. He became violence. He became hatred. He became vehement anger. And we, we became what he was. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past is. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he made a way and signed it with his own blood that whosoever will may come. And I'll make an exchange with you. Amen. I'll take your loss. I'll take your pain. I'll take your sin. I'll take your sorrow. I'll take it upon myself and I'll go to the cross of Calvary so that you might be now what he was then. And he became at the cross what we are. And now Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Amen. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. 2 Corinthians 8 9, I'm coming to a close. Under the Corinthians, Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, sake, for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You hear me this morning? The Bible said at the cross of Calvary, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich in heaven with no way, amen, to be anything but wealthy, healthy, wise, untouched by sin, untouched by pain and sorrow, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. At the cross of Calvary, Jesus actually literally made an exchange with you. If you've been born again, Amen. Those riches are not just measured in terms of salvation alone. Again, that exchange that Isaiah wrote about has cleansed me, justified me, and sanctified me and afforded me that he was wounded for our transgression. In other words, amen, there's an exchange. And now, because of that chastisement upon him, I have peace. I have salvation because he was wounded and bruised. Out of his veins flowed that blood for the payment for my sin. But more than that, saint of God today, if you've come to this house today and you need salvation, what Jesus did, amen, was exchange all that you have done for salvation. But for those of us who know the Lord, he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. I've never seen an aged pastor and bishop, Brother Mason. We're individuals, apostolics are so beset by such mental trouble and anxiety and cares and pressures and stresses of life you don't even have to define stress. We all go through it. Even heart rates go up. Blood pressures go up. It affects blood sugars. All those things can be an adverse effect of all this stress and all this pressure. All I'm telling you is today, and I'm not saying that I'm successfully there today, but I'm trying to paint a picture to you today in the, person, uh, in the ministry of Jesus Christ that when Jesus went to the cross, we got more than salvation. When he went to the cross, I got a promise from him, amen, that he would take this mess that's going on in my mind, that he'd take this, this anxiety and this pressure and this stress to fall off of me, and he would take it upon himself and in taking my anxiety and my fears and my pressures he would in place give me his peace amen I can live in peace I can live in joy no matter what comes today or tomorrow there has been a great exchange but not only that as apostolics we believe amen that he took upon himself he bore he carried our sicknesses our sorrows our disease upon himself and in that place he gave me his healing I still believe in the power of the healing of the Lord because at Calvary he took my place amen those stripes were upon his back 
as a living example and proof, amen, that Jesus exchanged places with me. Would you come to music, please, and would you stand? I got to go real quickly, amen, to Isaiah 61. The prophet said, he foretold today of that marvelous ministry of the Savior, Jesus Christ, Messiah. When he returned to Nazareth, Nazareth, Jesus stood in his own hometown, and he read the same scripture. And when he ended it up, he said, this day is a scripture fulfilled in your ears. The Bible declared that Jesus was going to fulfill the ministry of prophet, priest, and king. And in this prophecy in Isaiah 61, as the prophet of God, Isaiah said he's going to preach the gospel to the meek. Amen. As the high priest, he's going to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. And as the king, he's going to declare the tenets of the kingdom. And among them are liberty to the captive that have been bound in chains of slavery. He's going to, in his own person, display and proclaim the grace of God with this message. This is the accepted time. He'll warn of the coming judgment of God. Amen. Yet he's going to give to those who mourn in repentance. He's going to give to them comfort. But now he said in Isaiah 61, 3, three things. I'm going to give you beauty in exchange for your ashes. Hear me now. That's what he said. I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. In other words, I don't care how messed up your life is. Like Job, you might be wearing sackcloth within. You might be sitting on a pile of ashes. You might be scraping your body from head to toe. All those boils saying my life is a mess. It's upside down. But what Jesus is promising to us in this ministry of prophet, priest, and king, I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. In other words, you give me your ashes, I'll give you my beauty. Amen. He went further and said, I'm going to give you the oil of gladness in exchange for your mourning. If we would just dare come to God in all of our anxiousness, all of our care, all of our sorrows, all of our pain, the Lord promised you. Amen. Not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to give you beauty in exchange for your ashes. All that mess, all that sorrow, all the life comes crashing down in upon God's people. I have a promise from God. I made an exchange. If you just somehow in faith can step out and say, God, I've got nothing to give you but my ashes. I've got nothing to give you but a destroyed life. Ashes are the result of things that are burned, gone back to its original state of carbon. God, all I've got left to give you is my ashes of a life that's ruined and hopeless and despair. Dear God, would you give me in its place your beauty? Some of you have come to this church today in a sense of mourning, anxious, care-filled. I understand that. But the Lord promised, I'm going to give you the oil of gladness for your mourning. There's something about the power of the Holy Ghost. There's something about the power of His presence. And when He comes into this house, service by service, what He's wanting to do is give you the oil of joy if you'll give Him your mourning. And thirdly, He said, I want to give you the garment of praise in exchange for the spirit of heaviness. What the Lord wants to do in this house today, your life might be a sham. It might be a shame. It might be nothing but a pain. It might not be nothing more than ashes in your hand. But if you would dare to step out from where you are today, come down to an altar and say, Lord, this is all I have to give you. And the Lord will say, I'll make the great exchange. I'll give to you in place of your shame and your pain, your ashes, beauty. I will give you oil of gladness for your mourning. Amen. I will give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I do believe, Brother McGee, Pastor and Bishop, it is a spirit. I'm going to give you a garment of praise. Put on the garment of praise. 
I give you this great exchange. I wonder if there's anybody in the house today, Saint Center friend, guest. I don't even know what time it is. I have no idea where we're at. But if you today are full of anxiety, care, and concern, I wonder if you could reach up by faith, if you could step out from where you are, come to an altar and say, God, I'm renewing my vows to you and I believe this word. I'm not necessarily stating that I understand it all and I don't even know that I know how to get across that, that gulf. I'm not sure I know how to grab a hold of that. But Lord, I believe your word says if I just give you my ashes, you'll give me your beauty. If I can just come today, even in my morning, would you like to come today? I'm full of anxiety, full of care, full of concerns. Lord, I need you today. I know it's Sunday morning. Amen. I know it's Sunday morning. Is there anything you need to give to God? If you'll give it to him, he'll exchange it with you. His yoke for your yoke. His health for your disease. His peace for your anxiety. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Would you sing, please? Come to this morning, amen, for even for just a few moments. By faith, God, help me to accept that great exchange. Please come, amen. Come on, saints, amen. God, help me to accept that great exchange. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.